Welcome to the Triple Option Podcast. I am your host, Dante Pryor Sr., a writer and contributor to SaturdayBlitz.com and also my sports vote, the app. So let's get right into it. It was a crazy weekend in college football, and we <clears throat> we find ourselves kind of anticipating with with bated breath, if you will, the next college football playoff ranking. I can tell you this for sure. When you want to talk about the college football playoff and the rankings, I don't know how much any of that matters for at least um, another month or so. And let me let me say this just straight off the bat: the Alabama dynasty ain't over. Okay, now let's move on down the road. I just I want to talk about three games that kind of shape the landscape of uh, what's kind of going on in college football right now. Three, three, uh, my, my view, three of the bigger games from the weekend. And I would say all in all, I like weekend. So kind of each big game kind of hit its place. Like, you know, kind of hit the opening card, opening bill game with uh, Penn State, Minnesota. And, uh, you know, Alabama and LSU kind of took the co-main event. It was the afternoon game, big game, though. And then Oklahoma and, and Iowa State decided that they were going to um, <clears throat> they were going to entertain us, if you will, um, in the primetime slot. And all, all you pro wrestling fans, if you've ever been to a, 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 a live show like a Monday Night Raw or or Friday Night SmackDown, anything like that, uh, sometimes you kind of get the the benefit of what we call the the dark match after TV goes off. So if you stayed up a little late. Uh, going into early Sunday morning, as I did, you got treated to a pretty good dark match between Boise State and Wyoming. So all in all, a good slate of college football games. I was shocked, though, that Penn State, not so much that they lost. And I, let me let me walk back. I was shocked that Minnesota was able to block Penn State as well as they were able to block Penn State. Um, I did the preview for this game, and I picked Penn State, and I and for that reason, I felt like Minnesota was going to have a chance. I thought this was kind of this, this was Minnesota's kind of look. We can hang with what prognosticators consider to be the elite in our conference, and we're going to give you know the the Nittany Lions all that we can handle, all they can handle, but come up short. But I did think there was something. Pardon me, I'm going to take a drink of water here. But I did think that there was something that Minnesota might be able to take care of. And it was something they were able to take take advantage of, I should say. And that is Penn State's offense, and they've done it all year. Penn State's offense kind of has this tendency to go away for periods of time in the game. You go back to that, that, that Michigan game, and, you know, they jumped out on Michigan, and, and everybody – at Beaver Stadium, and, uh, and, and you know West Pennsylvania, um, it's going crazy, white out, everything's going on, it's ridiculous, right? And then all of a sudden, Penn State can't score. Penn State can't run the football. Penn State can't throw the football, and that allowed Michigan an opportunity to get back in the game. Now the flip was, and this is something that that actually very much. Um, 
surprise me. I was very surprised that the uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers were able to, um, I, I was very surprised they were able to, to jump out against Penn State. That was something that I did not expect. But they were able to jump out, get a lead, and you know, just kind of fit. They 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 did a they did a very good job, a very good job of just just kind of really, you know, they they jumped out all of a sudden. You know, it's fourteen seven, and they they got it all the way out to twenty four ten in the second quarter, and it just kind of kept. Penn State at arm's length, but when you walk, when you look at when you look at Penn State's inability to score, number one, defensively, Minnesota did not stand a job, and Penn State just never, just never really, never really got it going, you know, on on, on offense it, and. In the third quarter, I mean, Penn State's defense bowled up and shut out Minnesota in the third quarter, but Penn State's offense couldn't never couldn't take advantage of that. It couldn't turn the game, and lo and behold, time expires, and those golfers, baby, you know, man, I'm listening to this post game speech. If there's anything that was great from this past Saturday, were like some of the post game speeches that you heard. Or, or like the post game interview and PJ Fleck, man, that man said, you know, that's what we we're talking about all week. You know about that cold and that pressure, and he pulled out that big fake dab and said, "You get this, baby." I'm like, oh gosh, do I have some eligibility left? I'm going to be in the to walk on. I want to pay for PJ Fleck. Look, that's what college football is all about. And I'm going to digress, and I want to go to East Lansing. And I want to talk about one of the biggest comebacks that I've ever seen. And I didn't see much of it. I just kind of peeking because, listen, number one, I, don't, I never want to see anyone lose their job. But, you know, it went from uh, I don't know if this is working down in Champaign to all of a sudden, hey, Illinois is four and four. What? Hey, wait, wait. This will be Purdue tomorrow soon. Wait a minute, a second. Illinois is five and four. Hey, they just need to, you know, in their last two games, they just need to figure out two more wins. They can figure out two more wins. Uh, Illinois is going to a bowl game, and lo and behold. It's 31 to 10, you know, in the fourth quarter. And I'm like, oh, geez, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm like, it's 31 17. I'm like, wait, they're, they're, are they going to get back in this? I'm like, no. And all of a sudden, it's like 24. I'm like, wait, let me. I'm like, oh, I got to cover this game. So I'm like, I was just kind of peeking in the periphery, looking on my phone, and all of a sudden, end of the game, Illinois fine. You know, listen, here's the thing. 
I know that there were some turnovers. Um, you know, Brian Lewerke did the most Brian Lewerke thing that Brian Lewerke can do, and that is throw interceptions. He threw three of them. Um, you know, Illinois was by no means perfect in this game. They only ran for 36 yards, and they hit 94 yards of penalties uh, while giving up 526 yards. But here's the thing. Against Wisconsin and against Michigan State, arguably two of the three or four best defenses in the whole conference, Illinois figured out a way to get enough offense. I mean, this is you're talking about Michigan State's defense, and they scored 27 points in the fourth quarter against Michigan State's defense. That's something to be said. I, I, but, but, and it brought a tear to my eye. I'll just be honest. You got all these young men surrounding Lovey Smith and hugging Lovey. And you just see, you just read their lips. This was for you, coach. We did it for you, coach. This is for you, coach. We did this for you, coach. You know, we're happy for you, coach. We, we, want, to, we want to win this for you, coach. But this was all. These young men heard everything that was happening about Lovey Smith. And, and one thing that, that, that Coach Lovey Smith, the reputation he's always had going all the way back to he was D coordinator in St. Louis um, and, and even uh, his, his time as coordinator in Tampa and even his last stint as head coach in Tampa in the NFL was that players will fall on a sword for Lovey Smith. And these young men heard all this crap. And I'm, excuse me for calling it crap. And, but I do think some of it is crap. Because you can say all you want what's not working in Champagne. But let's just be honest about a couple things. University of Illinois just started wanting to spend money on their football program, number one. Number two, um, it was an absolute mess when we took it over. Now, should Bill Cuban have had that job? Probably. Hired a new AD, that AD one Lovey Smith. That's the game. Right. But they heard about how it's not working, how Lovey won't make it the year, or maybe it gets fried at the end of the year. These young men have bowed up, and they're playing ball for their coach. And sometimes we forget. I think David Bell's tears, the Penn State-Michigan game, reminds us that you talk about the money and the controversy with players being able to get compensated from their likenesses and all of the non-football stuff. But sometimes we forget that this is still a game that involves 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, in some cases 23-year-old young men. They're young, they're kids playing a game. And many of them are using this game and that free education to do something valuable with their lives outside of playing football. For many of these young men, these four years, five years of being on a college campus playing ball is the last time they'll ever play. And, and, and you know, moments like that in Illinois just, just really made my heart happy. So uh, I'm going to talk about Alabama LSU last, but I don't know, man, I guess... You know, I guess Oklahoma 
has no desire to go to the college football playoff. Because, I mean, they just, you know, put, I mean, they put that game on a nice, you know, expensive, like just real fancy silver platter for the Iowa State Cyclones. I mean, Jalen Hurst threw another interception, had a little fumble. I mean, just, you know, just would not put the, the Cyclones away. But I, I think what we what, what we saw against Iowa State and what we're seeing against better teams, and that includes Kansas State, has been one of those better teams. We're seeing that Oklahoma's defense is still very, very thin from a talent perspective. And although Alex Grinch was brought in to help produce turnovers uh, for, for this Oklahoma Sooner defense, we're not seeing the turnovers that we're supposed to see. They don't have a pass rush. Uh, they they have a Bimba don't break secondary. Let's keep everything in front of us. Don't get a, let's not get it thrown over our heads. But with a methodical team like Iowa State um, and a team that's not going to go away, and man, you want to talk about a team that just huh, shot themselves in the foot continually? Man, Iowa State just continually. Man, you look at that first half. Man, there were so many just like silly penalties, drives that they just, um, you know, just could not, um, pardon me, just could not, you know, get out of their own way. And there were several um, situations where they just couldn't, you know, they just couldn't get out of their, they just kept shooting themselves in the foot. But one thing about Iowa State and what, what Matt Campbell's established there is this idea that we're never out of a game. And you saw that against Oklahoma. And, man, that defense of, of Iowa State, talking about defenses, that defense of Iowa State, you know, they really did a great job. And, they, man, they bowled up. And, you know, Oklahoma scored seven points in the second half. They did a great job with their gap discipline, limiting the, the running lanes for Jalen Hurts. They, they didn't let that ball get over their heads. I mean, they didn't let Kenyon Rambo, CeeDee Lamb, that whole crew could not get over the top of that Iowa State secondary. Um, I mean, they just they did a great – they just really, like, squeezed Oklahoma's offense in that game. Did a wonderful job. And then they went for two. And I went back and forth uh, with Zach Bogalki, who's a contributor, also to SandyBliss.com. He thought they should have won for two. I don't think they should have won for two. And I don't think they should have won for two for a couple reasons. One reason is they hit all the momentum in the game. I mean, everything was turning up Iowa State. And also, they had outscored Oklahoma 27-7. to in the second half, you have all the momentum, and your defense is playing lights out. I would have trusted the momentum, and I would have, and I would have, tr- I would have trusted the momentum. And I would trust my defense, and also I would have trusted the fact that like three quarters of the fans left uh, when 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 Oklahoma went up forty-two to twenty-one. There was nobody left in Gaylord Memorial Stadium, so 
like like if, if something would have happened, you, you know, Oklahoma wouldn't have had the crowd because there was no crowd left there. And I would I would have kicked the extra point, and I would have took my chances in overtime. In that situation, I get the message you're trying to send, um, but you still kind of had a hollering chance at the Big 12 championship game. You win this this Oklahoma game and give them two losses and give yourself a tiebreaker. I think that one you got to play the long game um, on that one. But it was a great game. It was a great game. It was a great game. Um, I think you see some limitations if that if if that can if we can say that. But Oklahoma's offense, they're really good. But I mean, they faced a really good defensive line, and Iowa State wasn't bad along their defensive line, especially in the second half when they really adjusted to what Oklahoma was trying to do. They tackled better um, in the second half. You can kind of tell they don't have a Hollywood Brown-like game-breaker offensively for Oklahoma, um, which is why they don't have any problems letting Jalen Hurts run the way he does. Uh, so, But it was a good game. So um, let's talk Alabama-LSU. So, Alabama LSU was a great game, but it was weird. That was one of the games I covered. I did takeaways from that game. And my number one takeaway was the crazy amount of passes that the Alabama receivers, two specific, that were touchdown passes that Jerry Judy dropped. And just kind of the penalties early in that game. And then Tua throwing a, a, a kind of a bad pick. And yeah, Tua threw for 400 yards. Uh, not, a, not a terribly efficient game from Tua. 21 of 40. You could tell the ankle was bothering him, and, and God bless him. He got it, got his team back in the game. But LSU pretty much did what Minnesota did to Penn State. They jumped out early, and they were able to, um, you know, behind the unsung hero, uh, Mr. Uh, um, um, ah, his name just escaped me. Clyde Hilaire, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, the unsung hero for the LSU Tigers. I mean, Burrow is going to get all the credit, but, you know, they just kind of kept him at arm's length and, and <coughs> pardon me, made enough big plays late in that game to seal that victory. And in my view, and Heather Denich, who is the Maharaja of the college football playoff, I do agree with her. I do think Alabama's done as it concerns the playoffs, but I also think Alabama may have one more loss in them. Um, and that loss may come in Jordan here. I don't think Auburn's better than Alabama, but a game is on the plane down in Auburn. Who knows how healthy Tui is? I'll be the first one to tell you if, you know, if, you, if you're. <laughs> If you if you're asking me, and and trust me, no one's asking me at all. But man, I gotta tell you, um, 
I'd be I'd be I'd be real real tempted. Um, looking at the fact they got at, they got Mississippi State and Western Carolina, um, I'd be tempted to sit Tua against Mississippi State and Western Carolina because they could beat Mississippi State with Mac Jones. Um, Najee Davis ran like five star against LSU. He he ran that way against Mississippi State. Yeah, I, I would probably I would be very 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 tempted to sit them to sit Tua to to the Iron Bowl. Um, and yeah, because that you know that that has all the makings of being a, a real fluky game. So um and 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 that's why you know. You know, Auburn's defense is fantastic. They're really good up front. Alabama's not great along the offensive line. There, there's something there. But let me get back. Let me get back to this LSU Alabama game. Um, each team's receivers showed out. I mean, Jamar Jamar Jefferson and uh, Jamar Chase. Excuse me. And um, Justin Jefferson were outstanding um, in the game. You know, Jerry Judy, like I said, uncharacteristically dropped a couple touchdown passes, but Devontae Smith was fantastic. I mean, all the stars came out. You, If you watch that game, that game was very much, in my opinion, like watching a pro game. Because there was, I mean, you're talking about 44 guys. It's like the 22 for Alabama, 11 offense, 11 defense. The 22 for LSU, 11 offense, 11 defense. Of those 44 guys, that was shocking me if 35 of them had at very least a cup of coffee in the NFL at some point. I mean, so much talent on that field. Um, it had a real a weird feel to it at the beginning. Like I said, LSU jumped off to that that I want to say it was 33-13 lead. And you know, really what happened was, you know, they just found a way, you know, Bama got that thing to, to, to 33-27. And man, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, touchdown. Um you know, they, they just kept kind of finding a way to keep Alabama um, at arm's length. And um, that was huge. You know, that, that was huge. So um, so now we got LSU number one. Um, and Alabama has their loss. I will reiterate the Alabama dynasty is not done. Uh, this is not the EFL Alabama. Nick Saban's not washed up. Um you know, Alabama's not falling. You gotta understand, man. I mean, everybody's rising. This thing it's not it's not that Alabama's getting worse. It's perfect illusion. It 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 is it is it is the scene from the greatest Tom Cruise movie of all time, Days of Thunder, when 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 Harry Hogg tells Cole Triggle, Harry Hogg played by Robert Duvall, um Cole Trigger played by Tom Cruise. And Harry goes, Cole, you need to slow down. You're going to bring your tires. And he says, it's not that I'm going anything. Any, you know, everybody's going 
it's not that I'm going, you know, um, you know, um, that much faster. Everybody else is going slower. So I'm catching up. Everybody's catching up to Alabama. You know, I mean, Clemson, Texas A&M, Georgia, LSU. You talk to Alabama. That's the top five recruiting classes. People are recruiting on the same level as Alabama. I mean, LSU can recruit a top five recruiting class just by recruiting Louisiana. One thing about Alabama, which actually makes what Alabama Alabama's done the last decade so brilliant, is that they can't just recruit their state and get a top five recruiting class. They got to recruit the Southeast, and they do it masterfully. I mean, Saban's one of the great recruiters in the in the history of college football. My Alabama's going to be fine. This year may finally be the the first year in the history of the college football playoff, as brief as it is. The Alabama's not in the playoff, and that's okay, and it has to be okay, and it needs to be okay. Um, so, um, you know, row the boat, make diamonds, uh, you know, boomer sooner, and uh, go Tigers. Um, that post-game with Ed Ogeron, this is a great win, not only for the LSU Tigers, but the great state of Louisiana. That post-game speech made me want to just sell everything and move to Baton Rouge and just, like, become an LSU Tigers fan. I mean, how about a guy living the childhood dream? Want to play for LSU? Wasn't good enough. Played for Northwestern State, also in the state of Louisiana. You know, coaches around, uh, becomes an interim at Ole Miss. It's a disaster. Learns from his mistakes. Goes to SC um, as an offensive coach. Becomes the interim, does a good job. Doesn't get it. Goes to Clay. A lot of people at SC wanted Ogeron to get that SC job. Went to Clay Helton. Goes to LSU, um, you know, and becomes head coach, and is not as great as, you know, it was supposed to be at first. It comes to Ensminger from quarterback at LSU, and you know they begin to just kind of bring in the parts to open up the offense. It comes Joe Burrow from from Ohio State. You got all these great receivers. Jabril, the time is perfect because if he doesn't come to LSU with the rash of transfer quarterbacks at LSU, who knows who's going to play quarterback? Burrow comes in, has a decent year last year. They monkey stomp UCF. Come back this year, you bring in Joe Brady as your pass game coordinator, bring it, brings in the RPO stuff to just really exploit the talent of these freak athlete receivers they have. And they're undefeated. Man, yeah, Hollywood can't write that. Listen, on the other side of the break, um, we're going to talk coaching carousel. And we're going to play something I call coaching dominoes. On the other side of the break, that's next, Triple Option Podcast. And we are back. So 
it is about the time that we see coaching dominoes begin to fall. The first one was all the way back in October, Chris Ash. Uh, then a couple weeks ago was Willie Taggart. And then recently on this past Sunday was Chad Morris. Fired. Arkansas. Completely not working out. So let's do a couple things here. First of all, um, so I just, I, I've done two pieces for SaturdayBliss.com about Chad Morris, um, his firing and possible replacements. So let's start there. Um, let, let's talk about who um, who should replace or who who's the best candidates to replace Chad Morris um, at Arkansas. Well, I, it, it's kind of hard to pin it down. So so the so the direction of of the article will. You could call it tiers, you call it groups, but I, I kind of looked at, I kind of look at, at at three kind of categories. It's like the the group of five head coach, the power five coordinator, and and I probably should have done like the established slash retread power five. Looking back on it now, um, through the week as I write more about Chad Morris, I'm going to try to correct that mistake, but. So there are a couple power five coaches, excuse me, group of five coaches that I think have um, an inside track um, to this job. The, the, the longest shot, I think, is Lane Kiffin. And, and Lane has quietly put together a seven to three season um, with an opportunity to uh, play for. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Sun Belt. No, they're not in the Sun Belt anymore. Let me uh, look at my trusty computer. If if I if I'm not mistaken, the Florida Atlantic Owls are now in. Um, let's see here. Do 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 Conference USA. That's what I thought. So so they're they're sitting uh, tied for first with with Marshall. Um, Florida Atlantic is five and one. Marshall is four and one. Um, Lane had the big season in year one, kind of dipped to five and seven last year. Now five and one, seven and three overall. Florida Atlantic. Um, I I just think you you have to you gotta consider Lane um, if you're Arkansas because number one he's kind of showing that he knows how to put together a program. That's number one. Um, Lane is a heat seeker. Not the only heat seeker on my list. And, and let's just establish something when we talk about heat seekers and we talk about Arkansas football. And that is Arkansas is not afraid to hire heat seekers. They hired Bobby Petrino and they hired Brett Bielema. You're talking about heat seekers. So, but the question is, is do they think he's a guy? I, I think more, even more than the controversy, um, and him reestablishing himself as, as as a very good offensive coach um, down down in Boca and putting uh, once again putting together this program and you know getting them back in contention for a conference USA championship. I think the question you got to ask yourself if you're Arkansas, and and this is the big one. And in fact, before we even get into more coaches, this is the, kind of the big thing that I think Arkansas needs to 
to think about, and this is why I think of kind of a veteran retread may be best for them, and that is they really have to think about what they want as a program, what they want kind of, um, <coughs> pardon me, and kind of, you know, the direction of the program. Um, I think they have to think about do they want a guy like Lane who may come in and if he wins nine games in year three? And I don't know, in three years, who knows what job will be open? I see he wins nine games three years in Arkansas, all of a sudden they have Alabama jobs open. Or, you know, I just, I don't know, I'll, Penn State's open. Or, you know, or, or Dabo goes to Clem, goes to Alabama in four years and then Clemson's open. Whatever the case may be. Those are just wild examples. Um, Lane's still fairly young. There, there's probably a, a really good chance if that if that happens, he's gonna want to take the more elite power five job. So do you run that risk of having a guy have quick success? If I use another pro wrestling term here, set the territory on fire. And then once he set the territory on fire, he's out of there. Then what happens to the territory when he's gone? So I think that's the really the big question with any of these power five guys. Like Billy Napier is another guy, I think. Um, so I don't know if Napier has the pelts on the wall to, to really be a serious candidate, which is why he's probably, if he's not as long a shot as Kiffin, he may be a little longer. But here's the thing about Napier that you got to like. He's kind of he's got that um, that Ryan Day. Well, Ryan Day really didn't have many pelts before getting an Ohio State job. But, you know, you, you, you got, you know, the stellar reputation in the NFL and like everyone uses, I mean, like, like Urban Meyer went to find you because of what you did as like a lower tier assistant at Florida to bring you to Ohio state. Uh, you know, every place he's gone as an analyst, quality control quarterbacks, uh, office coordinator, Ryan day has kind of gotten this respect from all these great coaches. And, you know, with Napier, done a great job at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, looks like he's going to win the Sunbelt West again. Uh, but, man, he's got the pedigree. And this is only his second year as, head, as a head coach. But he's got the pedigree. I mean, you see you interview him and, like, well, well, how do you, you know, why do you feel this way about playing your secondary like this? Well, you know, when I was an Alabama coach, <laughs> Nick Saban, you know, Saban said, we, you know, or, or you know, or why do you think receivers should do this? Well, you know, or, or why do you take this approach to recruiting? Well, you know, when I was coaching off Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, so, you know, when you have, when you have like, when you could just name drop Dabo and Nick um, in an interview, man, that kind of gives you street cred. And, and that's one thing that Napier has. He has the pedigree. He's, he, he's only served under big-time head coaches. So you know he's absor- absorbed a lot. I mean, it's one thing to, like, be from the Saban tree or from the Sweeney tree, you know, uh, but it's, it's another thing to be from both trees. Uh, but once again, with Napier, 
you know, he goes and he has success. Um, you know, Arkansas, and then the 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 higher tier power five job comes. Is he leaving? You know, so then, so after Napier, I thought about South Trail, North Texas. A little bit luster off that name. Um, uh, the 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 the, the main Green are struggling this year. They're four and six. They're trying to get to a bowl. Uh, Mason Fine has not had the year he had last year before he got hurt in the bowl game against Utah State. Um, and he's not trending like he was uh, with tying him to Kansas State. I mean, you want to talk about timing being everything. If 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 Snyder retires a year early, Seth Luttrell is probably the head coach of Kansas State. But because Snyder wanted to give the job to his son, Kansas State said no, so he said, I'm still on the contract, so I'll just stay. And that's why Seth Luttrell isn't at, isn't at Kansas State. Um, and and he has the four and six year this year. So, you know, you know, he, he may have to do a Matt Wells have another good year to get another power five job. Uh, but one thing that you kind of gotta like um <clears throat> about Latrell is that he's his head coaching jobs at is is in Texas. So he kind of understands the culture of Texas high school football and he'd be able to recruit because you know Arkansas gets a lot of their kids from Texas. So that would be huge. Probably the guy they're gonna target from the power five is Mike um, now here's the irony about Mike Norvell. They chose Chad Morris over Mike Norvell two years ago. So and, and there's a lot with Mike now because so of course you know we we know Arkansas is open before state's open and there's been some chirps that Norvell may be a candidate for the Florida State job. So now so now if if Arkansas loves him. It's like, oh, you love so you love me now. That doesn't mean Norville loves Arkansas back. And here's the truth. Arkansas is a, a mess. Florida State's a mess. But when you clean the messes, what's left behind? Well, in Arkansas, and, and, and I'll just kind of briefly kind of go over. Some some of the things I finished a piece uh, tonight about about the Arkansas job and about a candidate I think they should seriously consider. So here's some things about Arkansas: they haven't played for a conference championship since '06. They haven't won ten games since 2011. They haven't won a conference championship in the SEC. The last conference championship was in 1989 when they were part of the old Southwest Conference. That was under Coach Ken Hatfield. Uh, their high water mark in the 21st century uh, were the four years Bobby Petrino was there. He won 10 games twice and they won a Cotton Bowl 2011. Um, it's an out of the way Power Five job. You're, you're going to Arkansas. You're not going to get a lot of Power Five talent from Arkansas. Um, you'll get some. And when I mean some, you know, we old, old school in the hood, when somebody said, hey, let me get some of your chips, and you would spell out S O M E, that's like what you get in Arkansas as far as football recruits for Power Five. You may get four or five. Um, but when they're good and you got a good recruiter, you can get in St. Louis. They, they, they produce some players in St. Louis. You can go to, you can get to Memphis, also produce some decent players out of Memphis. You can get to Texas. You can get to Louisiana. You On the balance, you're probably not going to win a national championship in Arkansas. Um, 
you're going to always fight Miss 16 Ole Miss to see who's the top of that bottom tier. Because if you put every team in the SEC West on the balance, you're going to have LSU and Alabama fighting for number one. You're going to probably – so one, two, and flip a coin. It's going to probably be, what, uh, Auburn and Texas Tech, flip a coin, three and four. So you got five, six, seven. And, you know, a good year raise Arkansas is going to finish fifth, which means you'll probably win. You'll you'll beat, you know, Mississippi State and you'll in the Egg Bowl and you'll beat uh, – uh, excuse me, yeah, you'll, you'll beat Mississippi State and you'll beat Ole Miss. Really good year, you'll beat your rival, Texas A&M. And then you hope for a, diff, a decent – conference crossover so you'll hope you know in, in a decent year where you can maybe win seven or eight games you'll hope that your you know kind of crossovers like vanderbilt and missouri you know and and kentucky and although kentucky's tough if you got enough offense you can beat kentucky because kentucky usually doesn't have a lot of offense so so you're talking about a team that should be able to go to a bowl game every year. And when I say that, I mean in like lean years, you're winning, you're going six and six, get into a bowl game. And then you'll cycle up every four or five years and win nine or ten games. And that's the job. That's the job at Arkansas. You clean the mess, you're looking at winning six or seven games on average, usually every season, cycle up every three or four years and win nine or ten. That's the job. You clean up the mess at Florida State, however. There's a really good chance if you can clean up that mess at Florida State that you can make Florida State into a national championship contender. You can't do that at Arkansas. And if you if you're Mike Norvell and you you you've you, you got both of these things, you know, here at Florida State offers, you're gonna take Florida State. Because if you clean up that mess, you can win a national championship at Florida State. You cannot at Arkansas. Um, so, uh, of course, you know, anytime you talk about the established big-time coordinator, you got to make the phone call to Clemson, South Carolina, and see if Brent Venables wants to have a go. Um, you have to. You got to. You got you to kick the tires on Brent Venables. Not only that, there have been so many of the big-time, you know, hot. Offensive coordinator snatched up. Um, you get you got to kind of see if the their defensive coordinator is there. Now here's the thing: I think a guy like Jimmy Lake. I don't think Jimmy Lake takes the job um, because I, I I think Jimmy Lake could probably get a better job in Arkansas if he holds out. Um, in fact, if I'm Jimmy Lake, I'd probably take a high-end group of five job before I would take. Like, let's say Mike Novell goes to Florida State, and I won't do this too soon because we're going to play dominoes. We're going to play coaching dominoes in a minute. But if I'm Jimmy Lake, well, Memphis gives me a call. I'd probably take Memphis before I took Arkansas, and I absolutely would. Um but you know you gotta call Clemson, South Carolina. See if Brent Venables wants to have a go. He'll probably take you know. But you know when, when you're one of the best defensive coordinators in the game, you know you just gotta see. And he may, and he, he he will probably turn it down. But here's the thing. 
he's from the he's from Kansas. Um, he started coaching at Kansas State. He was he was Bob Stoops' defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Uh, so that may bring him to arc. That that may be a pull. Maybe I doubt it, but you got to see. Um, so so here here here's one of the two kind of former head coaches slash retreads that another another call you got me and that's Steve Sarkeesian. Sark, you know, has some baggage, but once again, Arkansas has no issues with hiring heat seekers. We know this. Um, but Sark may be looking to get back in the game. And listen, if I'm looking, if I if I'm if I'm the Razorbacks administration, I'm looking at looking at how Chad Morris is recruited. He stockpiled quarterbacks and he stockpiled wide receivers. I don't know if any of these quarterbacks are any good. I don't know if any of these receivers are any good. But he's got a lot of them there in Fayetteville. And if you kind of look at what Sarkeesian's done with Tua and all these wide receivers, I'm kind of looking and saying, hmm, I wonder if he could do something similar to what we got here at Fayetteville. And I would have to make that phone call. But the number one coordinator that I think the Arkansas Razorbacks should target is Rich Rodriguez. It fits. And I don't know how crazy it sounds, but it fits. So I'm just going to kind of summarize – the piece that I that I finished tonight about why if it's number one, offense will be fun. I mean, listen, you go all the way back to 1998 when Tulane went undefeated under Tommy Bowden and uh, Rich Rodriguez was his OC in Tulane. Man, that offense was fun, brother. Sean King, Sean King became an NFL quarterback because of that year. He spent with Rich Rod. And Sean King wasn't a pure dual threat. And, and I know kind of thing is, well, he's he wants dual threat. He wants quarterbacks that can run. Well, you go back and you look what he did at Tulane. He knows how to handle quarterbacks who may not be quote unquote pure dual threat guys. Because Sean King threw for a lot of yards. So if he got some guys that can throw, he may be able to work with those quarterbacks that he's got there in Arkansas. Um, and he's got a couple of tailbacks there too. So well fit. Okay. Um, man. 2005, West Virginia, Pat White, Steve Slayton. A lot of fun. Scored, they scored a lot. Listen, here's the thing. Uh, let's let's just let's just throw it out there. Rich Rodriguez was never known to be a coach that recruited very heavily defense and Pretty much everywhere he's coached, they haven't really stopped people. Oh, but they scored points when they hit that thing rolling. Man, when Shoelace, Denar Robinson hit that thing rolling in Michigan, and they weren't very good when he coached Michigan. But Denar, but but Mr. Shoelace, Denar Robinson was very fun to watch. Then you go to a guy who he made the highest candidate in nine games, Khalil Tate. Khalil Tate was phenomenal to watch when he was in Arizona. So you so and one thing once once again a place like Arkansas 
where you, once again, on the balance, man, they're not going to win national championship. They're just not. They, they, the, the, they, they have a ceiling. They do. And, you know, I think and there, there may be a piece coming. I wrote a piece years ago called The Saban Effect. Um, it, it is on a place called NCAA, uh, NCAA CF ball.blogspot.com uh, if you want to go deep into my archive and check that out. Uh, I think I reposted that piece on my Sports Vote the app, so you can go check it out there as well, and kind of how uh, Nick Saban and his tree shaped the landscape of college coaching. I think pretty soon you're going to kind of see the Dabo effect. I mean, what the difference between what Dabo's done at Clemson and what Nick's done at Alabama Nick restored one of the classic football brands in all of college football. Dabo made Clemson a college brand. I mean, Clemson was a very regional school. And as long as I've watched college football, I try to think, and, and, and my earliest, earliest remembrances of, of Clemson is like the Taj Boyd, um CJ Spiller Sammy Watkins era. I don't really I don't really have much of a memory for Clemson football before that. But Dabo's made Clemson a national brand and that's not easy to do. Um and, and I think I think one of the one of the things that, that Dabo's benefited from he benefited from you go all the way to the West Coast and you you kind of had the fall of the Trojan Empire out west and then in the Big 12, you saw consistently like Oklahoma team who was good enough to beat everyone in the Big 12 but couldn't beat anyone outside the Big 12. And coupled with that, you had the fall of Texas post Mac Brown. And then you go to where he's coaching in the ACC. Um, he, he, we do, we are aware of the term Clemsoning. Um, keep in mind that even, even, even that situation. Um, Jimbo was still uh, had that thing kind of rolling at Florida State before the state had begun to crumble a little bit. So there are a lot of factors that kind of went in, like this butterfly effect, to went in for to to what uh, to have Dabo kind of create what Dabo's created there. So let uh, so I want to end tonight by playing dominoes. So we've got we've got we've got three jobs open. We've got Rutgers. We've got FSU. We've got Arkansas. I think it's pretty much as close to a done deal as you're going to get with Rutgers hiring Greg Schiano. But you got FSU open. So I'll do a couple dominoes with FSU and kind of shuffling of coaches. I just did one. I, I think Mike Norvell gets the job and Memphis comes open. You may see a guy like Jimmy Lake take, a Memphis, take the Memphis job which would be a really good job, really good job to cut your teeth as a head coach, especially a place that doesn't play defense very well. Like Memphis, that'd be a great place to build that defense around a high-power offense. But I don't think Mike Norvell gets the Florida State job. So I want to play two specific dominoes. James Franklin to USC. 
And this, this is why I'm playing my first domino. Because people are waiting with baited, they're waiting to see when Matt Campbell's leaving Iowa State. And Matt Campbell's smart because he's got a great thing going at Ames. And if he just stays there for 15 or 20 years, it, it'll it'll be like the Matt, Matt Campbell feel at Jack Trice Stadium. I mean, he's he'll do that. And and here's the thing. He's close. I don't know if he'll ever get the players, but there if, if he stays long enough, he'll win the Big 12 at least once or twice. But here's the thing. He's from Ohio, Midwestern guy. You know he probably wants a Big Ten job. Um, I was listening to Cover 3 podcast. Barton Simmons talking about him in Michigan State. I don't think Matt Campbell leaves for Michigan State because Michigan State and Iowa State to me is the same job. And I don't know. I don't. I just don't think you leave for the same job. But when James Franklin takes the job at USC, because I don't think Urban Meyer wants the job as much as people think he wants it. I don't know if USC, especially Carol Folt, wants Urban Meyer because Urban's got a little stink on him as much as people think that they want Urban Meyer. But James Franklin's perfect for L.A. That Penn State job comes open, Matt Campbell would leave Iowa State to go to Penn State. Penn State's a better job. We'll give you a couple more. Let's say Mike Stoops, and I, and I and I do believe I have the right Stoops brother. Um, let's say Mike Stoops gets the um, I'm sorry, I got the wrong Stoops brother. Let's try that again. Um, let's say Kentucky head coach Mark Stoops gets the Ford State job. And then Kentucky goes goes open. That would be a great fit in Kentucky. Mike Leach. I don't know how much more he wants to stay at Washington State. He's perfect for the out-of-the-way job. He proved that at Texas Tech. He's proven that at Washington State. He and, and how Mummy and that whole crew kind of created that spread thing, you know, while he was in Kentucky. Um, I just think I just think that'd be great. I, I could I could see Mike Stu, I could see Mike Leach leaving Washington State for Kentucky. Um. The only one I had not figured out was if Matt Campbell goes from Iowa State. Um, from like Iowa State uh, to Penn State, and because James Franklin is taking the job at USC. I'm not really sure like who takes like you know who takes um who takes the job. I I would 
I would gather more than likely that they'd probably hire internally and just promote a, promote a coordinator. I don't know if you bring in anybody new. Um, maybe they go to the to the group of five. Um, but circling all the way back to the Arkansas job, I think Rich Rod's a name. I'm going to do a piece on Mike Leach tomorrow. I think he's also a great candidate because I really think Arkansas needs someone. And I mentioned two names in my piece tonight about Rich Rod. I think they need someone I like David Cutcliffe at Duke or like Jackie Sherrill was at, at, at Mississippi State. They need someone who's going to be there for like a decade. This is a program that doesn't need somebody to come in, try to think around three or four years, have a big season, and then take another job. Because now you've got to start over. They need someone like an older, retread, you know, Mike Leach that'll be there. So um, those are just a few of the dominoes. So that is the show for tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the Triple Option Podcast. Um, you can catch us on Spotify. You can catch us on Apple. You can catch us on Google Podcasts. Uh, you can catch us in various different places. You can find me on Twitter at PastorDDP. You can also read all of my articles on SaturdayBlitz.com and on my Sports Vote, the app, or on MySportsVote.com. But as always, on the Triple Option Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, you have three options. You can feed it, you can keep it, or you can pitch it.